Church in the 21st Century Center presents God Pods, hosted by C21 Director and Professor of Theology, Thomas Groom. Hello and greetings from Boston College's Church in the 21st Century Center. My conversation partner for this God Pod is Professor Tiziana Deering. She's the Professor of Macro Practice in our Boston College School of Social Work. Welcome, Professor Deering. Thank you for having me. Delighted. This holy season of Lent, it's an appropriate time for us Christians to renew our commitment to living our faith as disciples of Jesus. Now this year, it seems all the more important to remember that as Christians, we are to put our faith to work on every level of our existence in every arena of life, including the public arena. And from the morning papers, we know well that we seem to find ourselves now politically in a time of tension, conflict, some people would even say crisis. So my question to you, Professor, the first question is, how are we to respond as Christians to this political reality that surrounds us and remembering, as Christians always should, that our greatest commandment is the law of love? So you just answered the question, I think, in my opinion. I think this is a time where for a variety of reasons, not only faith and spiritually based reasons, but reasons of how communities of people function together, the right focus and the right answer to the chaos we're all experiencing is to root ourselves in love. Love of the other uh, and the recognition that God has created man and woman with dignity. Um, and that every aspect of our lives and community with each other have to be rooted in a love of that dignity and a love of each other. How do we love the one? I mean, it is an amazing commandment that it he is. left us when he said, even enemies. And I think there's, there's a sense that people have now that there is an enmity yes. abroad in our society, in our community. So how about the person across from me who totally disagrees with my positions and postures? How do I mount the effort? What, what does it take to love the enemy? So I'm going to try not to try to use the words enmity and enemy in the same sentence, or I will just mess them up. <laughs> but I will say, yes, I think we are experiencing a sense that we are divorced from mm -hmm. other people. Um, divorced from those who may have voted differently than we did or carry a different value than we do. Back in December, I found myself reading some Thomas Merton again. And there was a moment where what he said much more brilliantly than I'm about to communicate it and with a much deeper meaning than I'm about to give it, this idea that we can at least recognize that God's love runs through the other person regardless of the feelings we are having. Sure. And for me, that's been an extremely useful idea and a humbling, deeply sure. humbling idea to hold on to. Um, in, again, this time of chaos and turmoil, it doesn't really matter whether or not I'm feeling love. What I can have certainty about is that God is. Yes. And that my practice of faith is to recognize how that whoever I'm sitting across from God loves them as deeply and wholly as God loves me. Yes. And who am I, therefore, to find differently? Yes. No, that's a marvelous, it's an amazing mystery of our faith, this unconditional love of God for each and every one of us, even for the person that I 
that I don't like or yes. that's on the other side or taking a totally opposite position. It's humbling. You mentioned Merton. Well, who else and what else helps you to I, keep, especially to keep hope alive? Because I find that, you know, my, my you know, St. Saint, Saint James said we should always be able to explain the hope that is yeah. in us. So I love the hope that is in you, Professor, but what explains it? Um, I really believe deeply in the principles of Catholic social teaching. And I believe they are a simple and available set of principles around human dignity, the fact that we are constantly in community with each other, even when we don't feel like we are, that we are so interdependent that who you are and who I am cannot be separated, um, that solidarity is part of what we're called to. Um, and in, I find great hope in trying to live out the principles of Catholic social teaching because what they do is lay out a blueprint for finding and being our best selves in community with each other. Indeed. And they're not hard to understand. No. They're, they're deeply accessible. And in my secret vision for the next phase of the world, the principles of Catholic social teaching make their way into the secular world in a way that helps us reconstruct the social contract yes. and reconstruct how we understand our relationships and obligations to each other. Yes, that's marvelous. Now, the two most recent issues of Church in the 21st Century Resources, which is our biannual magazine publication, goes out to almost 200,000 people, um, both have been on the theme of conscience, and precisely because we see it as such a crucial issue for our time, informing our conscience, forming our conscience, following our conscience, the freedom of conscience, the importance of, a, of, a, of an informed conscience, and so on. Ty, say something about the role of conscience, and especially apropos the church's social teaching. I often think, as Catholics, when we think of conscience, oh, that tells me when I'm committing a mortal sin, a venial sin, or what I should avoid, but it, it very often doesn't permeate on into the social consciousness yes. Yes. that we need to have. Not just about our private, our per rather personal, there's no private sins, they're all personal. Not just about our personal uh, ethical issues, but about our public social issues. How does conscience how is our Catholic conscience to function in the public social realm? I love the question, and I think it is, in fact, the question of the day, full stop. Um, and the way for me that I find useful to think about that is, regardless of love, and over and above love, or inclusive of love, we still have an obligation to be in right relationship with each other. And that's where conscience comes in. You and I um, are utterly loved by God and called to love each other, but we are still capable of recognizing power differentials. We're still capable of recognizing who's controlling resources and decision-making in sure. a given moment. And we're capable of discerning whether or not we are in right relationship. Yes. And naming it if we are not and addressing it as such. Yes. And so in this time, we have to constantly come back to questions of, are we in right relationship with each other? Wonderful. And one can then actually do very principled analytic thinking about yes or no, if not, why not? 
and what practical changes in how we behave as communities, as voters, as taxpayers, as elected officials, as nonprofit executives, as business owners, as mothers and fathers and children, what decisions can we make differently to try to put ourselves back into right relationship with our broader community. Wonderful. And I love your language of right relationship. It's the biblical understanding of justice and of holiness. It, it, the term right relationship in the Hebrew scriptures means holiness of life and it means justice. I didn't know that. Yeah, which is a lovely reminder to us that to be holy, you're required, you have to be just. Yeah. You cannot be holy and be unjust or unjust. Yes. The two go together. Leviticus 19 is very clear about it. Let me ask a closing question. Sure. Because as you mentioned, family there. Um, you're a, uh, an eminent professor, uh, a distinguished scholar. That makes uh, me laugh. A wonderful, <laughs> a wonderful activist in all kinds of marvelous ways, but also a parent, a mom, yes. uh, a spouse. How do, you, how do you put it all, how do you take that faith of yours uh, that deep faith and put it to work every day in, as I said, the public arenas, but in the private arenas as well. What are the practices even yeah. that help you to remember, to re-engage the integration of life and faith as a, as a living faith? I would say, first, I need to acknowledge that I do that more and less successfully. Uh, don't, don't we all? On any given day, right? Sure. At any given stage in my life. Um, I really try to make sure that I have access to and am listening to people whose lives um, model who I wish to be. Um, and therefore, their presence in my life calls me to um, better choices, sure. uh, better expressions of love, better practices in my own home, in my marriage, in my parenting. And so I really look in everyday life in lots of different ways for people who I believe are modeling God's grace. And then I try to learn from them. I try to expose myself to them. Wonderful. And I try to model what I see them doing in my own life. Sure. I don't try to do it alone. Wonderful. Which, of course, is the, be the blessing, the benefit of our whole Catholic sense of the communion of saints, you know, that the saints before us can be, can pray for us still, but can be models for us as well. I'm just thinking of Pope Francis, our beloved Pope Francis, deliberately choosing Francis. Yes. Because he knew that Fran Pope, that St. Francis would be and could be the kind of model for the kind of Pope. Yeah. that he wanted to be, even though Francis lived a very different life. Professor Deering, this has been wonderful and fascinating. We're deeply grateful to you. Blessings upon you during this holy season of Lent and indeed uh, throughout the season. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much.